Hello woodworms, you're listening to Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the show for woodworkers who also like to read about woodworking. So in the Anarchist Tool Chess I mentioned how Christopher Schwarz had a section on sharpening and how I consider this to be a foundational hand tool skill. Have you ever wondered whether it would be better to get oil stones or water stones? Are you struggling with getting your tools scary sharp? Does the idea of sharpening either fascinate you or fill you with dread? Well, today's book will teach you more about sharpening than anyone has any reason to know. The book is from Ron Hock and it's called The Perfect Edge. I'd suggest that it's the go-to Bible for sharpening. I'd never had any engagement with Ron before the show, but he seems to be a helpful and humble guy. Everyone who I've ever heard speak about him has only the highest praise for their interactions with him. Although he runs Hock Tools, which I would argue is the premium aftermarket blade maker, I've heard plenty of stories about people phoning in and having him personally spend time with them on the phone, educating them about a blade choice. That's pretty cool as far as I'm concerned. So I took a fly and I reached out to him to see whether I could get him onto the podcast. As a result, today's episode is a pretty special episode. Logistically, having him on the show proved difficult, but the good news is that I sent him a few questions that I really wanted his opinion on. And here's the cool thing. He took the time to answer them in some depth, and I'm going to go through his responses later in the episode. Ron's rise to stardom in the hand tool blade world began in the early 80s when he began making blades and chip breakers for staff and students at the James Crenov Fine Woodworking Program. He'd been making knives, but with the increasing requests from students and staff at the Crenov School, he switched to making premium replacement blades for metal planes, as well as blades suited to the unique geometry of the Crenov planes and other wooden planes. Today, they are a well-known global brand in the hand tool community, and although they are located in Mendocino's renowned woodworking enclave, their planes are made by a super high-tech production facility in France. Hock blades are easier to hone than regular blades, because the extra thickness of the blades, and because the blade is also made to Hock's precise specifications, make sure you'll get a perfect mix of blade characteristics, durability, sharpness, and ease of sharpening. In fact, most of the second chapter of the book sets out to explain that this unholy triumvirate of characteristics is why there is no perfect steel. If you want a blade that's going to hold a finer edge, there are trade-offs in terms of sharpening and durability of the edge. Likewise, a blade that is harder to sharpen may hold an edge longer. There's actually some pretty fascinating science behind this, if you're interested in it, or some pretty boring science if you're not. Either way, the book starts with metallurgy and goes into detail to explain concepts such as what makes a steel able to hold an edge and why a steel can't be both hard and flexible. There's a few diagrams to show you what's going on at the molecular level, so you can understand what A2 means in a steel name, or how oil hardening is different from water hardening. Things like the Rockwell hardness scale, and why you might want an occlusive powder coating when doing DIY. You get the picture. There's 30 pages of great stuff on what is steel, then 16 more on abrasives, and 8 on how wood is cut. I found that the first time I read the book I skimmed and skipped through these sections and if you're losing focus or falling asleep here, skim through or jump ahead to chapter 5 that covers the fundamentals of sharpening. That said, it's worth to come back after a while and see whether or not there's any nuggets of information that you'd be interested in. I'll give an example of why a reread later makes sense. 
Recently I've started to look at the process of making my own molding planes. There's quite an involved process in terms of annealing metal, then shaping and getting it into the finished form, before hardening and tempering the blade. This typically involves heating and cooling at different velocities. There's a chart for that in the book. Pictures of colour and temperature ranges, diagrams of different metal types, etc. Now YouTube will get you through the steps on how to do this, but I enjoyed going to a deeper level to understand what I was doing to the actual structure of the metal crystals. Ever wonder why you need a magnet to check if your blade is hot enough in the process? You'll discover that and a whole bunch more when reading this part of the book. The diagrams and colours of heated steel and explanations of DIY are really useful. Frankly, by the time you're finished, you should have all the knowledge you will ever need about metals, which in turn is going to make your buying decision easier. When you're comparing cryogenically relieved steel to a PMV-11 steel at some point in the future, you'll thank Ron for giving you the knowledge needed to look through the hype and buy what is important to you. Again, I'll stress there's no silver bullet. Cost, hardness, durability, edge capability, all of these are trade-offs. And hopefully, his book will explain the basis of these compromises to you. As a bonus, you'll also know a bit more about rust and a few strategies to combat that. After steel, we are off to abrasives, where we'll learn about silicon carbide, aluminium oxide, cubic boron nitride, chromium oxide and diamonds, both monocrystalline diamonds and polycrystalline diamonds, as well as fullerene. Wait, you didn't know that there were different types of diamonds and they all have different applications in woodworking? Me neither, but now I do. And there's also some info on how to compare the different grit sizes across the different types of stones. Admittedly, as the author points out, these types of comparisons are at best a general guideline. And with non-synthetic stones, there's a degree of fluctuation that occurs with the natural product. The final chapter before we get into the meat of the book deals with how an edge cuts wood. There's a bit more to this than you think, and I feel that it's going to be worthwhile to go through this chapter. Some of the descriptions might feel a bit abstract, but I think the accompanying diagrams do a good job of giving readers an understanding of the different concepts. One gem I found in this chapter was an explanation of why a relief angle is necessary on planes. It's a topic that you might not consider when sharpening your planes, but if you don't leave some clearance for the wood to rebound behind the blade, you run the risk of a plate being pushed up and out of the cut. Again, not the kind of thing that will dramatically shift your woodworking, but an interesting piece of info to be filed away for future reference. I'm sure that in the future, if I experience these types of symptoms on a blade, I'm now better prepared to diagnose the problem correctly. Bad habits with microbevels are also covered, and it's clear that the author has a really good handle on the interactions between all the different techniques as we finish the chapter by covering off what is going to happen when you cut with the grain, across the edge, across the face grain. If you've ever wanted to know the difference between the different types of chips, this is the section to read thoroughly. The remainder of the book includes one chapter on the fundamentals of sharpening and then dedicated chapters on sharpening specific tools. There are sections for plain irons, chisels, scrapers, hand saws, carving and turning tools, adzers and axes, knives, drill bits and power tools. And it goes without saying that you probably don't need to cover all the chapters through from cover to cover. Read a chapter you're interested in, in conjunction with the fundamental section. There are some tools that you're going to have to learn to sharpen. While you can get away with a disposable handsaw if you must, there's no practical way to abdicate the sharpening of your plain iron and chisels. 
For a weekend warrior, a premium saw may only need to be sharpened once every six months, or every few years, depending on your use. But chisels, on the other hand, will need sharpening after a few hours of woodworking, if not sooner. I'd recommend that if you have no preference for order of learning, you consider learning to sharpen plain irons and chisels, and then move on to saws. I think the confidence gained on a plain iron will translate well into what many of you might consider the scarier terrain of sharpening your own saws. Ron Hock starts the book by saying, relax, you know more than you think. James Wright, from Wood by Wright, will tell you that a badly sharpened saw is still much better than a blunt saw. I think this is advice worth taking to heart. The piece of advice I'd throw in is that hand tools are not like power tools. Things go wrong slowly. If you sharpen a plain blade and you get it wrong, it's not like you cut your way past your line on a spinning table saw blade. Stop, back up a few steps, and try again. In most tools, there's a lifetime's worth of metal before you've ruined the tool. If you round over your plane blade by accident, you've got umpteen reshapings and resharpenings before you need to buy a new blade. I'd also make sure that you have some empirical manner of testing what is happening. If it's a saw, for example, take a block of wood, see how far you can saw with 10 strokes before you sharpen. Then sharpen it, and see how far you get through the wood. I'm sure you'll see an improvement. In fact, you'll probably double or triple the distance you go into the wood with the same number of strokes. Even if you thought you were getting it all wrong, that sharpened blade is much better than the blunt blade you had before. I like to test my plain blades on a small block of paper squares that I keep in the workshop, the normal type that you use for making notes in the office. After I've sharpened, I test the blade on one, which means I can consistently compare plain blades on the same type of paper, same size of paper, just to check that it's cutting properly. After sharpening, it's easier to see if things are getting better or if they're going south. As you progress, you'll need these kind of aids less and less, but in the beginning, it might help remove the fear that you're doing things wrong. Like a honing guide, when you're starting, anything that helps create certainty is worth investing in. As you get comfortable, it'll be easier to do sharpening more regularly which I think everyone will agree is the best way to keep tools sharp. If you do it often enough, you'll really, if ever, need to revert to major regrinding and edge shaping. Also keep practicing, and if necessary, practice on cheaper tools. The process for sharpening a premium PMV11 chisel is exactly the same as a home store one. If nervous, practice on a cheaper tool. I'm not going to go into a lot more detail about the fundamentals, Suffice it to say that Ron covers the majority of guides, bench grinder setups, waterstone ponds, etc. There might be a few more recent innovations that are available on the market, but I'd suggest that there's more than enough coverage here to give you a pretty comprehensive view of the different systems. Like religious debates, you're probably already leaning to one system or the other. I'd suggest you go with that one. Go with the one you're comfortable with, worry less about the perfect system, worry more about practice. If you've got absolutely no idea where to begin, my recommendation is to get a CBN wheel somewhere around the 180 to 360 grit and a cheaper 6-inch or 8-inch grinder to power it. That with a single very fine stone and a strop of leather will definitely be suitable for most of your typical sharpening requirements. That's what I use. I'm sure there's other great ways to sharpen. Each section of the book that follows has around 15 to 30 pages about sharpening the specific tool in question, 
This section is exhaustive as far as I'm concerned. I don't think you need to go anywhere else for your sharpening education. I'm not going to cover each section, rather I just thought I'd work through a typical chapter with you to give you an idea of how the author covers the work. I know that planes are probably the logical choice here, but I'm going to cover hand saws, as I think this is a skill that is far more accessible than most people think. Hock starts off by explaining terminology such as set, kerf, rake, and why these are important to understand. Then we cover rip versus crosscut configurations. This is where having paid a little bit of attention in earlier chapters will help out, but the narrative is easy to follow, regardless of whether you skipped ahead to here or not. For each configuration of the store, Ron goes into detail about typical configuration settings. For example, on rake, you'll learn that a 0 degree to 15 degree setting is about usual. 0 makes it more aggressive, 15 makes it easier to start. He recommends 4 inside this range, and he'll give you some external references to bolster your knowledge. I'd never heard of VintageSaws.com before I read this book, but it was an excellent site, and it went further to expand my knowledge of saws and saw sharpening. There's info on rip versus crosscut, teeth geometry, and sizes of files. Fleam, slope, rake, pitch, gullet depth, and set are all discussed and illustrated. In case the narrative is not making sense to you, the picture certainly will. In fact, it's probably a hallmark of this book that it has ample diagrams in all the right places and pictures to illustrate key points where words won't describe things in enough detail. Saw vices, saw sets, files and typical guides are covered under the tool section. There are techniques including sharpening, setting, jointing and shaping. And I found that this section teaches you how to troubleshoot different sized teeth. It's a likely reality that the first flea market saw you pick up and take home will have this problem, and Ron's quite clear about how to fix it. Hopefully I've done a good job of conveying the amount of information a typical chapter will impart to the reader. I think that although the writing is very easy reading, there's a lot of information contained in the pages, and if you're anything like me, you're going to read the chapters a few times before heading off to the workshop. And once there, keeping this open on the bench as a handy reference certainly won't hurt. Just before we conclude, let's go through the sections again. Ron has dedicated sections to cover the sharpening of planes, chisels, scrapers, hand saws, carving tools, turning tools, axes, adzes, knives, drill bits, and power tools. I'd suggest that this book would be worth the money alone for the introduction and any single chapter. The fact that it covers all the tools is absolutely fantastic. So in conclusion, The Perfect Edge is 223 pages long and is written by Ron Hock of Hock Tools. You can find the book at www.hocktools.com, which is a nice way to support the author. And as at December 2019, it costs $27. In the Anarchist tool chest, we covered off some of the essential hand tools. Without exception, these need to be sharp to be of any use to you as a woodworker. The Perfect Edge is my recommendation for the first, and probably the only book you'll need to buy on this subject. I'll give the book an 8 out of 10 in the category miscellaneous. Now that the review is done, let's go through the questions I sent to Ron and his answer to them. Question 1. Since you wrote the book, it seems Veritas has made a lot of progress with PMV11 steel. However, that doesn't seem to have been reflected in the different offerings from other premium manufacturers. You wrote that you were watching the space with interest. 
How has your view on powdered metal technology changed since you wrote the book? Ron's reply. I have little hands-on experience with Veritas's PMV11 blades, but I hear mostly good things about them. I'm yet to hear, however, anyone opine that we should all replace all our blades with PMV11, and here at Hock Tools we continue to sell more O1 blades than even A2, so I have to assume PMV11's touted superiority is slight. I've got a lot of respect for the engineers at Veritas. They do high-quality, innovative work, and they're fun to hang out with. Powder metallurgy does seem to allow for some incremental improvements in edge tools, but it appears that we run into the same no-free-lunch limitations that we see with other steels. There are powder metals with as much as 10% vanadium that, when properly hardened, approach carbide in edge retention ability, yet unlike carbide, can be used with a small bevel angle. Seems perfect, right? Well, that carbide resemblance applies as well to the sharpenability and those high V steels are nearly impossible to sharpen with an average woodshop sharpening kit. So maybe PMV11 tells us that readily available steels like O1 and A2 are really quite good and the wished for ultimate blade steel is still unobtainium. My second question. When I started sharpening hand tools I tried water stones and sandpaper over float glass. Then I sold these and moved on to diamond stones. I used an Eclipse style jig, then moved on to a Veritas sharpening system, then I ended up doing mostly freehand, but acquired a strop along the way. These days, a couple of years in, I find that for most of my planes and chisels I can get away with running them over a bench grinder with a 180 CBN wheel, before taking them freehand to an extra extra fine DMT plate, and then finally onto the strop. It was quite a costly process to get to the setup. And I know you believe sharpening systems are a very personal choice. But assuming a new woodworker is serious about hand tools and is going to be in the hobby for the next 10 years, has a few hundred dollars to spend, what do you think a good setup to invest in would be for them? Ron's reply. I think your route is typical, and for most the best way. A beginner who starts as you did, building their kit by trial and error, may reach a very different, ultimate perfect sharpening setup. Every jig, Every abrasive, every gizmo, has someone who loves it and someone who hates it. So I'd recommend your route. I suspect that if you had originally bought what you had now and you didn't know how to use it, you'd still be climbing the learning curve. I think your overall investment was not at all wasted. It was tuition. Start with some honing film on glass. It's easy and inexpensive and you can start with a, a lot of grits to try out while you find the three or four you want to stick with. Build your skills and replace pieces of your kit as your skills and tastes evolves and spread the investment over some years. One woodworker's diamond stones are another's Arkansas stones. Chris Schwartz uses a honing guide almost all the time, last time I checked with him anyway, while James Crenel was all about handheld honing. Visit stores that sell sharpening stuff and test the different offerings. Attend a sharpening workshop at a local club or store and pay attention to others' experiences. Ask for help and advice. You'll surely get it. It's a journey. Question 3. This podcast is about hand tool books that are good for the woodworker. If you had to pick a favorite woodworking book, what would it be and why? I confess I'm not a woodworker, so my favorite books tend to be about the philosophy of the craft in general. James Krenov's books have been the genesis for many woodworkers, and I particularly like his fine art of cabinet making, 
but read them all in sequence to get the full of immersion therapy. And I rarely reread books, but I've read Persic Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance four times, and it was a different experience each time. I still can't define quality. I'm about ready for my fifth reading. As you noted, I tried to write my book with enough fundamental detail that one could skip the tool-by-tool how-to chapters entirely, having learnt the theory in the first few chapters. My favourite cookbook is On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee. No recipes at all, just scientific detail on food fundamentals. The first chapter is about milk, the next eggs. So books such as Hoadley's Understanding Wood go a lot farther for me than any book about specific techniques. And I asked a final question. What's next for Hock Tools? Is there anything that you're currently working on that you're really excited about? Ron's reply. Nothing new in the works at this time. At least nothing I'm willing to talk about. Stay tuned. I'll take that to mean that he's up to something good, and we'll find out about it in due course. So that's it from Ron. Once again, a big shout out to him for taking the time on a new podcast. In case you're wondering, there are some good suggestions in there for future episodes. Hang tight with the podcast, and we'll see what we can do to get to some of those books soon. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go sharpen a blunt tool today and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps you've got a favorite book that you'd like to share or there's one that you're thinking of buying and you don't know whether it's worth it, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to fund additions to the library, you can also find me on Patreon and any of your contributions will go directly towards buying more books that I can review in future episodes.